A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps to detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, podcast fans and tennis fans, and greetings from the south coast of England. I don't know why I'm talking like a Butlin's red coat. Maybe because I am on the south coast of England, which I realise, Matt, for you is not exciting at all because it's where you live. But for me, very exciting. I am on holiday briefly, coming home tomorrow. <laughs> Does that mean you're just permanently on holiday, Matt? I've just been on. I've been on a ferry. I've paddled in the sea is this just everyday life for you in bogner welcome to my world yeah in fact i ran mm. round butlins in bogner this morning did you what a life. you see what he's done there david he's just he's become one of those people <laughs> that drops in that he's been for a run drops his He'll, exercise the, routine in yeah to, the, to one, <laughs> one step away from sharing pictures of your strava <laughs> and that is when you know we love matt's stat matt but you would have to disown that is me too high, that is too that. high a price to pay for a stat <laughs> uh, glad we're all on the same page about that david how are you doing oh i'm all right i'm i'm in the midlands uh I've done no exercise uh not on holiday anymore <laughs> just been watching still got a tan though I've ba- still got a tan I barely moved from the tv screen because of all the tennis <laughs> it's been great <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to start this podcast um, in exactly the same way I started. Uh, was it the last podcast or the last but one podcast? And just praising the one week, one thousand event format because it's just been joyous. Yesterday's schedule, I think, was one of the best single day orders of play I have ever seen, and that is what. That is what you don't get at a Grand Slam. You get lots of other great things that you don't get at a, a 1,000 event, but you don't get that dense a schedule mm. of just, oh, my goodness me, it's all too much. I'm going to need 17 screens. It's overwhelming. Rebecca Namugaruta is on what court? <laughs> exactly. The Wimbledon champion against the two-time Grand Slam champion and former world number one is on court four. And... Part of your brain is outraged about that, but the other part of your brain is looking through the matches and going, I don't know which one I'd move to make way for that one. Um, 
it's been this has been two weeks of just advert for one week long masters events i know i'm just repeating last week's pod but i think it bears repeating mm. I, I look I, I don't know whether we say this every year i think because of the the pandemic i've slightly forgotten what it used to be like in a way it it, it, it does feel even more intense these two weeks I, I can't remember ever feeling like i'm missing this much i'm watching that much tennis and yet i still feel like i'm missing stuff all the time um and we, we're actually just having a uh, a chat about the, the which players might have won the lot you know won these tournaments and also gone on to win the US Open and i think that maybe is the only downside to it is that there are players that are not playing this tournament or have pulled out i'm not 100% sure they're all because of acute injuries that they just can't play with they may well be saving themselves or they may have put in a three-quarter effort because they just feel like it's undoable. We know one or two have done it, but it's so difficult. It's not just the three tournaments in four weeks. It's the fact that you're playing every day for days on end. And it's a match is getting longer, a match is getting tougher. Well, even if we look at just these last two weeks, I think an early takeaway of of Cincinnati so far is how the players who performed really well in Canada have not performed well in Cincinnati. All four of the men's semi-finalists from Canada lost their opening match in Cincinnati. Uh, Herkacz to Isner, Krenja Buster to Ketsmanovic, Rude to Shelton, more on him later, and Evans to Krajanovic. And then... In the women, Jessica Pagula is the only player at the time of recording still in the draw, uh, who, who was in the semis last week in Canada, now in still in the draw, beat Marta Kostiuk. Halep did win a match, but is now withdrawn. Pliskova lost to Mertens and Hadab Meyer lost to Ostapenko. So yeah, it's, it's really, really tough to go back to back in these weeks. I think one day I would like to do a breakdown of what the toughest double is you know is it is it canada cincinnati is it madrid rome is it indian wells miami but i i feel like it might be this one with you know the proximity to the slam late in the season Un- unforgiving hard court on the exactly body. and crammed into a week it's it's a really tough stretch of the season but great for us because there's so much tennis yeah last player to pull off the treble rafael nadal in uh, in 2013 that's that's not going to happen for him this year, well, we knew it wasn't going to happen because he didn't even play in Canada. But more on Rafael Nadal shortly. We're going to start with the with the women's draw. And uh, we're at the last 16 stage. We've got Iga Svantec against Madison Keys, Alison Risk against Elena Rabakina, Isla Tomljanovic against Veronica Kudamatova, Petra Kvitova currently in action against Ange Jabeur. What's the score there, David? Uh, 6-1 Kvitova first set. She won it in just over 20 minutes. And it's uh, Jabeur <laughs> has just had a set point in the second set. So it's turned into Ooh. a good battle. And if, it, in some ways, I know their age isn't that different, but it feels slightly generational, this, because Jabeur yeah. is a recent arrival at the very top end of the game. And she's playing somebody who... We've stopped talking about really in in Petra Kvitova, mm. and yet has shown here that her top level is still formidable. Pagula against Raducanu is the first uh, night session match tonight. Plenty more on Emma Raducanu to come. Elisa Mertens against Caroline Garcia. Arena Sabalenka faces Shelby Rogers and Zhang Shui against Annette Contivate. So sort of a smattering of expected predictable names and a smattering of not so predictable names and a smattering of names 
about whom nothing is ever predictable. Uh, Petra Kvitova, I'm looking at you. Um, (laughs) Let's deal with the withdrawals and injuries first. Let's get the let's get the bummers out of the way. Uh, And by bummers, I mean both of your predictions. Let's just cover that off. I you have my deepest sympathies. Both of you, as somebody who's been burned by the flame of injury before, <laughs> I uh, I feel you. Two uh, two ankle injuries. It's terribly bad luck. Not just for David Law and Matt Roberts, but also for for Coco Goff and uh, Amanda Anisimova. Yes, I picked the backhand, the Anisimova backhand. Having having watched her beat Daria Kasatkina, one of the informed players, I thought. Right, this is Anisimova's time, good part of the draw. I must say I missed the update that she had withdrawn and I found out about it via her Instagram and it was a story of her of her foot in a boot and I thought, huh, this this doesn't look great for my predictions. Th- that wasn't my first thought. My first thought was, oh no, poor Amanda Anisimova. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and yeah, she has withdrawn. Real shame. Foot in boot isn't good, no. is it? With uh, with a grand slam week and a half around the corner. No, and she'd look so good in that in that first match. I, I'm still not sure Gosh, what happened. She was brilliant. No, um, no, we don't know quite honestly what happened to Amanda and Anisimova. As and when we get news, we'll tell you. Uh, we wish that backhand very well indeed. Matt's travelling all the way to New York for that backhand. <laughs> so if if some if some US based physios could work some magic, that would be great. Same applies to Coco Goff. Uh, really tough scenes uh, for Coco Goff. She retired um, while playing Marie Buzkova. Went over on her ankle, and it was pretty immediately apparent that something serious was going on. She's since I think it's one of those things with an- with ankles, isn't it, where it feels extremely drastic. Um, there's there's a significant shock element with ankle injuries, I think, and um, I think you can do damage by continuing to play. So absolutely the right thing for her to stop. Slightly more signs of encouragement, I think, in terms of the statement that she's put out. And there's no no sign of a boot, crucially. Boot is definitely a sign of doom where lower limbs are concerned. Yeah, and, and a fairly jolly tweet from from her saying, "Don't worry, I'm okay." And I suppose when you've got what is it, a week and a half until next match requirement, if it's not serious, then you know maybe she can get get going again. Um, and I just I don't know. There's something about Coco Goff. She's such an incredible mover and athlete. I kind of feel like her limbs are slightly elastic, and that she she might not injure as seriously as other players might yeah fingers crossed we wish her well because my goodness me that it feels like the u.s open is going to be a big tournament for her so i hope she's fit incidentally marie buscova that benefited from coco goff's retirement then went on to uh withdraw herself with a is it okay to be amused by what's called a trunk injury it's it's not one i've heard before that's that's it, back isn't it or it, or is it abdominal? I think it could be anything in the mid section. Yeah, David. Uh, uh, mm. I've never heard that one before. It could be. I think that could be rib. <laughs> anyway, get well soon, Marie Buzkova's trunk. <laughs> um, we've we've also had uh, the withdrawal of Simona Halep with a right. Th- 
thigh injury. Now, I think this is one where we perhaps need to put a little bit of a, could this be a tactical withdrawal asterisk? And if so, probably entirely legitimate, it happens. Um, and I'm, I think I'm, a, I'm totally okay with it happening. I, it kind of bothers me that you have to come up with a, a cover story for it because I think it should be fine to say I want to be in the best possible shape for one of the biggest tournaments of the season in, in a couple of weeks' time. So um, that would certainly be a better scenario than Simona Halep being injured. You know, I really want Simona Halep to be to be a threat at the US Open in a couple of weeks' time. And it, did did you see, did anybody see Simona Halep's opening match? Am I right to not be too concerned? I saw some. She beat um, Anastasia Potapova three sets. She looked tired to me. You know, she's she had a lot of tennis. It was a quick turnaround. Um, yeah, I'm I'm hopeful that our read on this is correct. Mm, our slightly cynical but very very understanding read on the Simona Halep in, injury situation. Just quickly before we move on, we. We did have a bit of correspondence uh, about our Simona Halep, Patrick Moratogli section on the podcast last week. I just want to be clear that I absolutely wasn't insinuating anything beyond exactly what I said last week, which is nothing specific related to their relationship other than the, the principle of a player being that reliant on a coach concerns me it's an individual sport um just sort of emotionally that that concerns me a little bit and just raises a bit of a a red flag I'm absolutely not suggesting anything specific with regards to their relationship and and just I, I do think the gender and age dynamics exacerbate that concern just just naturally you know there are power dynamics at play in in gendered relationships and yeah, I I would be concerned about any player and coach in that situation talking as sort of codependently as those two do about one another. And I know, I absolutely know, she might very well go on and win the US Open just as she won Toronto last week. And my opinion is irrelevant. You know, she has employed a coach to help her win tennis matches and tournaments and she's doing that. So who cares what I think? I'm just... Throwing my two cents into the pond. I, I think as well, probably because it's Patrick Moratoglu and his his demeanour as as a coach and a sort of entrepreneur and self promoter. In all honesty, it is exacerbated. It is it, it it he becomes part of the conversation a lot more than other coaches do with other players at his own doing because he is always talking about his role. He is always on the screen and I mean Simona Halep has been very happy to talk about him as well and I mean frankly she used to do something similar with Darren Cahill I think the the point Matt made last time we were talking about it is that she also made quite a big point and so did he about the importance of of not relying on him in order to get results and he often wanted to not to call him onto the court when he was doing on-court coaching because that over-reliance is not healthy to her game in the long run and and just generally Um, and I mean the you know the point about her changing her team pretty drastically. I mean, she she did also, and this may have nothing to do with Patrick Moratoglu per se, but she also did move 
at a very similar sort of time away from the manager that she'd had for 14 years, and that's Virginia Rizicci. She's now managed by the Wii Sport Agency, um, which, again, I mean, the players move agents. That's players move coaches. This stuff does happen. Um, I think on a personal level, Patrick Moritoglu, I think, is an excellent coach, or at least he's got a record of coaching players who've had a significant success trying to decipher how much of that is down to him is an impossibility. You cannot work out how much of an impact he had on Serena Williams going and winning Grand Slam titles. She's one of the best players of all time. She'd won many, many titles before he came on the scene, but she was going through a bit of a rough time. She went on and had a great run. So, you know, Simona Halep has gone and won a title. I personally get wound up by the fact that Patrick Moritoglu comes on the scene with a immediately asks for people to come up with a team name for him and Simona Halep, um, puts himself forward in a social media post as somebody who needs to apologise for her poor form in the clay court season, and then puts another post up showing her with the trophy. I don't know, just as far as I'm concerned, just wind your neck in, mate. You know, you're doing well as a, uh, if in your job if she's winning tournaments, but let's leave it to her, shall we? It did give rise, though, to, I think, your greatest ever punchline on the podcast, which was, I've, I've, I've got a good team name for them. It's called Simona Hallop. <laughs> yeah, I don't epic. know. I mean, look, you know, I, 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 know, I, I know Ash Barty often referenced her and her team as we, and I... And I maybe was I took that in a much better way I, I don't know but it's because it's coming from the player and Patrick does mm. promote himself to an extraordinary degree even during the the, the match against Coco Goff Coco's dad had a Moritoglu hat on now I know that there's a sort of business relationship going on there etc there's nothing wrong with it that's allowed that's he's created a massive business and a very successful one and players talk incredibly warmly about the Moritoglu Academy I just want to hear a little bit less about him and more about the player personally are you saying you're not being paid to wear that Seattle Seahawks uh, hoodie that you're in right now, David? Uh, with, with you just, are you just bitter because you're not on a pay deal with the Seahawks? Given, given that they've just signed up as a quarterback for the next 12 games or whatever they managed to play over the next uh, four months, I feel like I should be getting paid. We're not going right. to win. And I bought West Bromwich Albion and I bought their shirt and that cost me a fortune. Mm. Fuming. Okay. Back to the tennis we go. <laughs> Let's talk about Emma Raducanu against Serena Williams. Matt and I stayed up for this um, at about 11.45pm UK time. It started raining in Cincinnati and the despair was very real. But we were not for turning. We stuck in there and oh, Matt, I was slightly underwhelmed. Yeah. Mm, I don't I don't regret. I don't regret. Um, I'm very glad we stayed up to watch and were able to report back on it diligently for our podcast listeners. But I was expecting it to feel, regardless of the quality of the tennis match, which we'll come on to, but just as an occasion, I was expecting it to feel momentous, epic, memorable. Uh, and, and I was there moment for everybody in the stadium and it felt cool but 
not hugely remarkable, mm. I don't think. Well, I was expecting it to feel like Serena against Benchik in Toronto felt, which I'd stayed up for the previous week. And I think that was all of the words that you just used. Momentous, remarkable. Um, there was an electricity in the air. You know, there was real excitement. It was a real I was there moment, I'm sure, for everyone in that stadium. You know, and... Serena put up a better performance that day, but she still lost in in straight sets. But that didn't matter. You know, it was about celebrating the career of Serena Williams. And I just think that one was right on the heels of of the Vogue article. You know, it was all still so fresh in everyone's mind. They just everyone just wanted to be there. I think, as you said in our show on on Serena last week, it is in a way a gift that Serena's giving everyone by letting everyone know that these are her last tournaments. But I don't think she's enjoying it and I think it's quite hard for her and it's quite a burden, it's quite a pressure and maybe that is affecting her performance. Um, This one also came with the added element of the scheduling having changed from the Monday to the Tuesday which gave it a bit of a weird vibe and we understand, Chris Clary I believe reported this, that it was because Serena herself requested that extra day because she's got a bit of a knee injury at the moment And that also is perhaps affecting things because she's not able to give her best. So everything, everything just collectively made it a bit of an awkward night. As you said, there were still some, you know, still some memorable moments. It's still another Serena Williams match we all got to watch. I'm still pleased I stayed up for it. But yeah, it it was a bit awkward. And the highlights were undoubtedly Naomi Osaka in the crowd. I mean, that is probably what I will remember more than anything. I mean, the crowd very generally was a highlight. There was Naomi Osaka, just generally the fact of her being there, particularly as she had lost earlier in the day to to Zheng Shui, um, and then her realising she had been clocked on camera and doing, you know, the very, very famous Homer Simpson disappearing into the hedge (laughs) gif. She basically did the spectating tennis equivalent of that in her chair. And if you haven't seen it, then don't worry, you will be seeing it. Someone will send you a gif of it at some point in the near future, I I assure you. Um, It was really, really brilliant. Also, in watching Serena Williams news, Grigor Dimitrov sat next in In the the Serena Williams box next to Olympia. Daughter of Serena Williams. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but love and being Uncle great. Grigor. Yeah, Uncle Grigor being great. They were they were really cute together. Yeah, yeah. It was it was completely adorable. Oh. So thank goodness for that. Um, it was awkward. It was really awkward. Um, partly because Emma Raducanu was so good, and I know people will say, "Well, how much can you read into a performance against?" A clearly hampered Serena Williams. Well, I would say quite a lot in some very specific ways. I thought she dealt with the occasion brilliantly, and I and by that I mean I think she was the perfect balance of sympathetic to the occasion, not being about her, um, but not overawed by it, not overly deferential, and I. I think it's, you know, can't understate, I think, how difficult a, um, or can't overstate how difficult a line that is to walk, actually. She was, she was very intense and 
wasn't cowed, but equally did just tone tone herself down a little bit. You know, wasn't wasn't overtly fist pumping. Was extreme. Was exactly the right amount of respectful to Serena Williams, and I think that was actually quite a difficult note to strike. Yeah, especially for a nineteen-year-old that never faced Serena Williams before playing in her first ever match in Cincinnati. For goodness' sake. I was really impressed with her that night, not to mention the fact that she went on and blitzed Victoria Azarenka 6-love, six 6-2, six which I know Matt has things to say about. <laughs> just uh, just quickly, I mean, I agree with you. I think being the opponent in that scenario is is really tricky, and, and I'm not surprised she handled it well, actually, because I think she, she does have a good sense of how to just communicate Almost without saying a lot, I think Emirata kind of does have a really nice touch and feel for things. And um, I mean, just on on Serena, I noticed she she just walked off and wasn't allowing any ceremony and any moment of celebration. And it, and I understand why it's really it must be tiring and uncomfortable. As lovely as it is, do you think there's a cake in a bin? I do. I think the the volunteers had a lovely time backstage. (laughs) Okay, so long as the cake didn't go to waste. (laughs) Um, But I mean, you know, just on the US Open, uh, there's a bit of me that almost would be happy enough for her to admit if if it's bad or if her physicality is not going to really allow her to be competitive to just not play the US Open and arrange with the tournament to come out on her own terms just to have a moment, a ceremony where everybody could just love her that way. Or just play doubles with Venus? Well, that's not a bad idea as well. I think that's a very good shout. But I don't know. I just want it to be a a good ending. I don't care what it is as long as she... What is a good ending, David? Either being able if, to, if, if Harmony if Harmony Tan at Wimbledon had been her last ever tennis yeah, match, would that have been be a fine. good ending? Because she was yeah. to me, she was competitive in that match, and she she mm. could very nearly have won it. The crowd were going crazy for her, and she had enough moments that they could get excited. I I didn't watch the match live. I I heard from you both about it. I I sort of read about it on Twitter, and then I watched the highlights, eight minutes long, and they managed to find more winners from Serena Williams in that highlights package than they did from Amara Adekanu, who won won six four six love. So I I didn't know how much to read into that, but you know, by all accounts, it was awkward. It was too quiet, and it had to be quiet. And I just don't want it to be quiet. I don't want Serena Williams's final moments as a tennis professional to be quiet. I want it to be bedlam, whether it's her on a doubles court, a singles court, or just being welcomed by the crowd. Um, so that, that's my hope for her. Just on Emma Raducanu, I've got a question for you both, because I, I I, haven't really seen these matches, the, the, the Serena one and the Azarenka one. How much do you read into those? Uh, it would be very easy to look at the scorelines and get excited from a British tennis perspective and people who remember Raducanu last year. I'm looking at the order of play today and she plays Jessica Bagilda and thinking that's the test. What do you think? Very difficult because, and Matt will go into more detail on this, Victoria Azarenka was terrible yesterday. But I also, I think, I think Emma Raducanu is playing extremely smart tennis in these matchups. And I think, okay, it's, it's, not tennis that's going to be as effective against an informed Jessica Pagula today as it was against a, a rubbish Victoria Azarenka and a shadow of her former self Serena Williams 
in the previous few matches. But from the fairly limited evidence we have about Emma Raducanu so far in her career, she is a momentum role confidence player. And these are confidence-wise, regardless of what the tennis matches were like, massive wins. She has beaten the greatest of all time and a former world number one handily. She's dismissed them. Mm. And, you know, being a tennis player is all about very selective and focused psychology, isn't it? And if you've got the right funnel in your brain those are tremendous confidence boost boosting wins um and i still put jessica pagula as the favorite tonight but i think regardless of of the outcome of that match this week is tremendously good news for emma adekanu also ps just the fact that she's got to play them both and feel their ball let alone beat them i think is massive data gathering for her yeah, I mean, I I agree with all of that. Um, 17 games in a row she won consecutively, you know, across those two matches, Serena and and Azarenka. Um, in the Serena match, I was, I was really struck by how free and uninhibited Raducanu looked. And it struck me that that was probably her first match since the US Open where she wasn't the biggest draw. And... You know, you could say she's played Iga Świątek world number one in that time. And, you know, maybe that was similar. But a Serena farewell tour moment is a completely different level. It, it, it just wasn't about Raducanu that night. And I think I think she enjoyed that in a way. And her tennis looked really good. That serve out wide was, was brilliant in both matches. That was a real feature of last year's US Open. Her forehand held up really well. Azarenka did play terribly and I, I I really do not want to sugarcoat that because I don't think Azarenka would want to I think Azarenka would be the first one to say that her performance honestly kind of stunk out there it was it was really bad for 10 games in a row she could barely find the court um I'm going to quote you back to yourself Matt <laughs> Seven, 1955 yesterday this is one of the worst performances I've ever seen by anyone ever from Azarenka <laughs> yeah I, honestly I stand by it go back and watch that and tell me that that is not one of the worst Matt, performances you've ever this, seen no one is going back to watch that <laughs> oh I don't know <laughs> I, I, I'm curious now <laughs> can I though bring up the subject of tennis balls oh yes well, if the world number one's doing it, Matt, then you certainly can. Because I I tweeted yesterday in a, in a little bit of jest, a sort of what say you, Craig Tizer. Oh, jest goes down brilliantly on the internet, Matt. Subtle Some jest. Some people got it. That's what the folk of Twitter love. <laughs> bit of nuance. I just thought maybe Emma Raducanu loves these tennis balls that they use in the US Open series. And... Then, it, as you said, it came up later that day because Iga Swiatek was extremely critical of them. She called them horrible. She said they fly like crazy. They're hard to control. Uh, you can't even practice with them in Europe because you can't get them here. All right, Craig Tyler. <laughs> she actually mentioned Barty. She said, if you ask Ash, she didn't like these balls either. Do you think they've got a WhatsApp group called Shit US Tennis Balls? It's called Number Ones Hate the Balls. <laughs> and the difference is that 
the women use different balls to the men at this time of year. They're Wilson balls, but the women use what they call regular duty and the men use some different ones, some heavier ones, basically. And it just got me thinking that if the balls are a bit harder to control, well, Raducanu is controlling them beautifully. And I just think... She looks less lightweight at this time of year. There have been there have been mm. times throughout the season where I've thought Raducanu is being outpowered, outhit, and her shots have just got that little bit more pop on them. And maybe it is just a marginal thing, like a ball being able to make a difference, and also a mindset. You know, Raducanu clearly is fine with them, so she accepts them. Maybe other players have got it in their head, so that sort of makes them play worse as well. But yeah, just an interesting thing to keep an eye on, I think, throughout this this little swing. Yeah, really interesting point. Very well done. So, someone who else who likes the balls, Catherine, uh, Petra Kvitova, who's just gone up five love in the third <laughs> against Angevin. Well, that's a very Ostapenko scoreline, yes. isn't it? <laughs> Ostapenko, incidentally, who took care of Beatrice had dad Meyer in her opener and then lost her next one, didn't she? To Madison Keys. Madison Keys, yeah. Loves the balls, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> Madison Keys oh, who's played Putin Saver and Ostbenko. <laughs> that's a week, isn't what it? What a week. And now plays Schwiontek? Mm, that's right. Oh. Mm. Um Iga Schwiontek, what have we made of her so far this week? Opener against Sloane Stevens, six four seven five we obviously know her feelings about the balls. It's only one match to go on. She plays Madison Keys later. How do we feel? I quite enjoyed it as a match. I thought Stevens was was working. She was bringing it. She was trying to mm. um, impose herself. There were a lot of really exciting forehand to forehand exchanges. I think they've, you know, oh, Sloane Stevens forehand. When they're on, those two oh. have got two of the best forehands. I think in in tennis. Um, Still pretty erratic from Svantec, more erratic than she would like. She had really fast starts in both sets, and that was such a defining feature of her run through the spring, wasn't it? Fast starts and just running away with the match. But here she got pegged back both times. Um, but she fought through, she won, and, you know, she, she she probably needs just more wins like that, you know, where she's not necessarily playing her best, and yet and yet she wins anyway. So I think she takes a lot from wins like this. Uh, a few other notable results so far from the week in Cincinnati on the women's side. Naomi Osaka losing 6-4-7-5 to Zhang Shui. Um, that's a couple of opening defeats for Naomi Osaka going into what's been her, well, equal most successful slam so far in her career. Where's she at? I mean, these at these 1,000 events, there are... There are only tough draws, seemingly. I mean, Zhang Shui is a is a great tennis player. It was relatively close. It was, you know, by no means a disaster for Naomi Osaka. But equally, she's not winning tennis matches. Uh, I I mean, look, I I watched some of that match, and just generally, she just looks a bit lost out there. Doesn't look as though she completely knows what her game is and where it is and what's going to come off a racket next. And I think that that must be a horrible feeling for a tennis player. You want to know what's coming when you swing the ball, when you swing the racket, when you plant your feet, all the rest of it. And I imagine, my guess is that she's probably having to think a lot on the court. And when she's at her best, she doesn't have to think. She's 30 in the race, Osaka. Look at you bringing up the race. I know. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Is she playing better 
than that. I mean, no, no. I mean, I think no. a lot of those points probably come from that. You know, one really great week she had in in Miami. So she's playing like a thirty in the world tennis player, basically. I think so. Mm. Mm. Does she need a good draw at the U.S. Open? Definitely. Mm. Just needs to find her way, find some form, and I suppose a good draw might just give her time because that's what she needs, time. Speaking of which, Maria Sakkari, she lost to Caroline Garcia this week. When was the last time we really talked about Maria Sakkari other than to, to make fun of... I say, you bring it up every week. Matt's what are you big, talking about? Big, big Greek <laughs> prediction. Um, what's happened to her? What has happened? Well, 12 and 12 win-loss records since she got to the final in Indian Wells. Um, and... I mentioned this briefly on a podcast the other week, but she did talk very openly about struggling with the pressure of being one of the best players in the world, mm. not enjoying it. She said she's spoken to her team about that, and I, I felt like that was a big moment for her to admit that. I suppose, though, you can't just expect to suddenly switch it back on. You know, it's it's that word that tennis players, all athletes use, process. It's it's going to be a... I feel like for Zachary, it's it's... It's going to be a sort of building back up to get back to where she was. And it felt like she did a lot of building to get there in the first place. Um, mm. But you know that she will put in the work and give her all because that is what she does. But, yeah, I, I really did think Zachary, as I said, could break through and win a slam this year. Two semifinals last year. She was really good in the slams and she's not had form at all slams tour since indian wells and yeah it's a shame because when she's at her best i still love love watching her play and and compete mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more and the best part about quince they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe ethical and responsible manufacturing elevate your style without the elevated price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. 
That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Eat. Moving on to the men's draw in Cincinnati, where we're also at the last 16 stage. Medvedev against Shapovalov. Uh, alert. Denis Shapovalov has won back-to-back tennis matches. Grigor Dimitrov coming along at just the right time uh, for, <laughs> for Denis. Um, Taylor Fritz against Andre Rublev, which is in progress as we speak. David, do you have a score update for the people that already know the result of this tennis match? <laughs> I do kind of... I, I am very interested in this because I, I, I've been doing a lot of polls. There have been so many great matches oh, to, to poll about. And people were all in on Taylor Fritz winning this match. And I was really taken aback by that. He, he lost the first set on a tie break. He's 5-2 up in the second. So it's going the distance by the looks of it. But, you know, I would... Taylor Fritz is your current ons jabeur. You're not... You're not convinced, are you? Well, no, look, I really like Taylor Fritz as a player, um, but I just, I still don't look at him as a contender for a, a big title. For a, look, he won, he won Indian Wells, so he's, he's won a big title, but I'm talking about a major. I'm talking about a Grand Slam. I do not see him as a contender. Don't see him as in the mix, as I've, as I've said. I was, I was interested in watching his match against Nick Kyrgios yesterday. I did see that, but Kyrgios was, I don't know what he was doing. I mean, he was, he was just, just lolloping around the court, looking as if he I'll just tell you, I'll couldn't tell you be what bothered. he was doing. He, I think he, because look, he's been on the straight and narrow recently. It's been good, Nick Kyrgios. He's been dialed in. He's looked physically fitter than he perhaps ever has. He's got a physio sitting courtside. That in itself is just a total game changer, I think, for Nick Kyrgios physically. Nick Kyrgios, I think, yesterday against Taylor Fritz went on court, knowing that for whatever physical reason. It is the the back niggle he's had that he was clearly struggling with in in Canada. Whether it's just hitting the wall fatigue, entirely understandable. He's played a lot of tennis, and he's particularly in his case not used to playing a lot of tennis. Whatever it is, he went onto court yesterday against Taylor Fritz, thinking he probably wouldn't win. And I don't think his I you know I don't think his psychology can really cope with that. So he finds external. Reasons he had a knee rub. Why he can't he? win? Um, well, I mean, he was on at the umpire. It was Renault Lichtenstein, wasn't it? He was on at him straight away, right? And that it—that's the tell for me. Yeah, that's when when he does that when he thinks. And this is not. This is. I think this is on a subconscious level, not a con- conscious level. Um, and I know I don't have the psychology qualifications to be saying this, but you know. The data points of the past suggest that that's what he does when he thinks he's not going to win. Um, and, I, and look, I I think not winning against Taylor Fritz when you've played as much tennis as he has, I think is you know not a, not a terrible thing. Um, but it was a he got booed off court. It was a terrible match. Oh yeah, I mean, he he shouldn't have played. I you know if he was yeah, clearly yeah. not up to it, he shouldn't have played. I'd yeah, agree with that. it was and, and a actually, poor effort. I think. Um, Maybe if he freshens up ahead of the U.S. Open, he might still have a good U.S. Open. I, I, oh, yeah. I still, I still do not have him in the mix, for, but it's generally for historical reasons. Um, I think overall he's looked the best on court you know, over a sustained period that he's ever looked, but I still don't trust it. Moving on. So we, <laughs> we've got Daniil Medvedev against Denis Shapovalov, Fritz Rublev, Stefanos Tsitsipas against Diego Schwartzman. John Isner 
against Sebastian Corda. Um, ben Shelton against Cameron Norrie, Marin Cilic uh, versus Carlos Alcaraz, Yannick Sinner uh, against Felix Auger-Aliassim and Roberto Bautista Agut against Borna Cioric, who last night beat Rafael Nadal. Don't worry, we'll be touching upon Nadal, but I would like to row back all the way to Ben Shelton, who for Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, I was calling Blake Shelton. Uh, Turns out Blake Shelton is a US country music star (laughs) and judge on the US voice. (laughs) Um, But... Uh, such was the unknown quantity to me uh, that is Ben. Oh, I almost said Blake again. Ben, <laughs> Ben Shelton. It uh, turns out he's the NCAA champion, which is pretty good pedigree tennis-wise. Should we, Matt, be taking notice of Ben Shelton? Definitely. I mean, I think he's he's forcing everyone to take notice with his with his results at the moment. He's he's the reigning NCAA champion, which is extremely rare. I read that he's the first reigning champion to win a match at a Masters in the same season. You know, since the Masters began in 1990, normally they might they might take some time. He is he is doing it straight off, winning that title in May. Um, I switched over to to his match against Rude and, you know, I hadn't been watching it that long and he hit a tweener lob winner. And I was like, right, okay, I'm into this guy. (laughs) This is great. Um, Blake, you have my attention. (laughs) He's a lefty. He's got a very attacking game. Big serve, really big serve. And actually, I think the... The court he was on, it was one of the outside courts at Cincinnati, really suited him in that matchup against Rude because Rude just didn't have the space to get really far back, which is, you know, where he likes to play his tennis. And Shelton was just on him. Um, Isner played him in in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago and was like, this guy's good. He is going to be beating me very soon. I'm glad I played him now, sort of thing. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, his, his dad is Brian Shelton. Is a former pro. Oh, I remember Brian Shelton. Yeah, he I was a might. good player. Yeah, I do- that's another person that I could definitely mistake for Blake Shelton. <laughs> when you were saying actually Blake and Ben, it did remind me that I remembered Brian Shelton. I mean, he he was a '90s player. Uh, I think he might have won Newport or something like that back in the day. He was good on grass. I think I'm trying to think whether he was a left-hander, but he was a good player. I remember enjoying watching him. Yeah. Yeah, um, so so that was actually a match yesterday, Shelton versus Rude, which was also, a, you know, that could have been a match back in the day because obviously the two dads played on the tour. Um, he's got a wild card into the US Open, Ben Shelton, courtesy of being the NCAA champion. Um, he's still enrolled at the University of Florida. He said he's going to make a decision kind of before the US Open, whether to stay in college or, or turn pro straight away. And yeah, I just think we're probably going to be hearing... A lot more about him. Good game, lots of variety. He's bringing it. And it's always exciting when someone just new emerges. Brian Shelton, David, won Newport back-to-back oh, in 1991 <laughs> and 1992. Genuinely the happiest I've seen David since the French <laughs> Open. <laughs> I'm so chuffed because that was... 92 was when I was just failing my examinations because of tennis. So... To to have something to show for it, yeah, and I I would I would have watched those matches, no question about it. 
Right. Well done, Career high of 55 in the world. Short in between uh, those two Newport victories. Uh, March 1992, he achieved that career and, high. And apparently he got two top five wins in his career. So Ben is already on him because he's got one over Kasparud. Oh, wow. He was right-handed, though. I got that wrong. He wasn't left-handed. That's a shame. Right. OK. Oh, well. Anyway. I think you did well, David. You passed the Brian Shelton test. D- yeah, you, you, definitely. <laughs> I can't believe um, I got Newport. I think those were his only titles. <laughs> you glory in that for a moment. Matt and I are going to talk about Rafael Nadal. Lost oh, last yeah, night f- to, to Borna Choric. Um, just a quick asterisk to this. So pleased for Borna Choric because beating Nadal was his big breakthrough wasn't it Mm. announcing himself on the scene being the next big thing being sort of og next gen and then you know he had a few other results didn't he beat andy murray was progressing nicely and then just kind of disappeared you know and he's had horrible injuries i know that he was he's kept on having to put back his return to the tour um and he seems like a thoroughly lovely chap who's just really struggled, I think, physically and in a related way emotionally over the last few years. And I'm chuffed to bits for him. But obviously Nadal is, you know, is the story here. Um, the fact that he's going to go into the US Open with, with only one match, one loss uh, under his belt. Obviously, he won the US Open with zero matches. Uh, the Australian Open, rather, this year with zero matches under his belt. So it's very difficult to know. Um, where to place Rafael Nadal. He talked about the the rib injury after the match. He said, he basically said, look, it's not like I felt no pain, but he was primed to expect a little bit of pain, wasn't he? Because that's what you get from kind of scar tissue from, from an injury that's recently healed. He sounded quite upbeat, Nadal, I thought, despite the loss. And I I do tend to take Nadal with this this sort of thing at face value because he he does tell us when he's not upbeat about stuff. You know, I think he could definitely do with a lot more matches. But in terms of the injury, I I do take that at face value. I do think he's he's okay physically. He just could another one that could probably do with a kind draw in New York. Yes, I think I think that's absolutely true. Uh, I mean, Nadal's got so much experience at handling this kind of thing you know navigating an injury working his way back into form he says he needs time he's got that time now before the US Open I mean he looked rusty for sure there were some errors you wouldn't expect he wasn't he wasn't match sharp match tight you know he had two set points in that first set tie break and I mean blew them I mean he hit terrible shots that you just wouldn't expect him to hit um i felt like he was holding back just in intensity wise a little bit it's not like nadal's not intense of course he always is but perhaps because of the injury he hasn't he hadn't been practicing sets i think he'd only played a couple of sets before even coming to cincinnati just felt like he was playing the whole match kind of in in first gear maybe second gear probably partly in due to you know testing out the injury as well um Church is an awkward opponent for him. He's now he's now got, actually got a winning record over Nadal, three two. Albeit, I think kind of all of his wins have been quite opportunistic. You know, he's taken advantage of Nadal when he's not been at his best. But 
that gave him the belief that he needed and he played really, really well. He served well, he hit his forehand well, which is often an Achilles heel for him. So yeah, it was it, it was quite a it was quite a close match. Um decent draw he needs, Nadal, I think, in, in New York. And if he gets it, well, he hasn't lost a slam match all year and best of five, he can work his way in. If he's positive about how he's feeling, then we should probably be positive as well. But he he needs the next 10 days to go well, I suppose. In uh, related needing a good draw in New York news, Andy Murray um, played really well in Cincinnati this week. I watched both his matches. He beat Stamarinka in the first round. That was That was patchy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Let's let's say, but I'd say played better, Andy Murray, in his defeat to Cameron Norrie in in the second round. Should have won that match. Had, had break points when he was well in control in the second set. Really handcuffed Cam Norrie, prevented him from, from playing his own game, playing playing such an aggressive brand of tennis, really, really eye-catching tennis from Andy Murray. Great to see and blew it, quite frankly. His conversion rate on on break points was terrible. Um, ended up in a dogfight uh, in the deciding set and begun cramping again, just as he did against Stan Wawrinka in the opening round, but somehow found a way through it. And just as he did, it actually passed me by a bit, been in, in Washington um, a couple of weeks ago. Now, cramping is something that Andy Murray suffered from at the start of his career. So he is prone to it. Some bodies are just more prone to it than others. Um but he, he, you know, he found a way to to overcome that with his supreme strength and conditioning. Now, I don't question Andy Murray's physical conditioning for a moment. There is no way that he is not putting the work in. But something's going on here, and I don't understand it. And I also don't love the fact that it's my physio sitting front and centre. Um, <laughs> uh, hopefully, rates falling as we speak. <laughs> Um, with Andy Murray doing sarcastic thumbs up to him, like, yeah, whatever you suggested, working brilliantly, mate. Um, obviously, I'm giving you both a hospital pass here because we don't have the medical expertise to speculate about what's going on here, but it's it's weird, isn't it? It's because, you know, tennis does call cramp a loss of conditioning. That's why you're not permitted to receive a medical timeout for you for it. You're only allowed to receive 
treatment during a change of ends on two occasions for cramp. Those are the rules um, because it's considered a loss of conditioning. I don't get it. Mm, no, I, I don't get it either because we're talking about a 15-year period where, where I don't remember him having too much cramp um, between the start of his career and now. And uh, look, I mean... The, these tournaments are extreme in terms of what they ask of you physically, but I'm still surprised because he will. There will be no stone that he's left unturned. I'm quite sure the physio he's got with him knows they know what they're doing. So, Bloody what so. what is going on? I mean, it is. I can only say what you've said, Catherine. It's weird, and I I think that that for Andy Murray it must be very disconcerting because you. You want to trust your body. In the same way I was talking about Naomi Osaka wanting to trust what's going to come out of a racket, Andy Murray should not, in his mind, he will he will think that as long as my hip's all right and there are, there's nothing kind of physically going wrong uh, in terms of body parts and joints and tendons and all the rest of it, he should not have to be thinking about conserving necessarily energy because of what might happen to his condition later on in the match, particularly a three-set match. Uh, that must bother him, I, I would I would guess. Um, and it will be interesting to talk to him about that when we get to New York and just figure out, see if he's figured it out, you know, because he's, he's such a student of this kind of stuff. I mm. can just imagine him being up all night trying to work it all out. Mm. Downing pickle juice. Yeah. Ugh, that stuff's horrible, but necessary. I maybe. bloody love pickle juice. <laughs> of course you do. Honestly, really, I like my mouth is salivating a little bit with the thought of it. And anything vinegary, yeah. I'm in. Um, yeah, if only the US Open draw were a proper draw, we would all be just so pumped for it, wouldn't we? But it's it is alas a press of a button and something very underwhelming. I mean, we'll still be extremely pumped for for where the names fall, but the actual physical draw itself. Yeah. Bring back proper draws, folks. Yes. Any other any other agendas we want to push today, or are we ready to wrap up? I, the, the only other thing I would like to say, I've just noticed Denis Shafalov coming out onto the court against Daniel Medvedev. Who knows how we'll get on here? But I actually do think winning those back-to-back matches, one of them against Tommy Paul, who's been playing well recently, you know, I, I'm just kind of pleased for Shapovalov that he's got out of mm. that horrible run of whatever eight out of nine matches losing. It must it must be so dispiriting, you know, and um, so good for him that he's that he's won a couple. Agreed. Pleased for him. We have a mascot for today, and she's called Roxy. Uh, she's a two-year-old German Shepherd, Belgian Malinois, and Collie plus brackets some other stuff. Mix and I really appreciate Jessica, uh, Roxy's owner, the detail in that description because my favourite game on planet Earth is guess what type of dog is in this crossbreed. Um, I, I could play that game all day I long. I genuinely didn't know all of this was a was a thing. I didn't know mm. you could you had this many different varieties of dog and I'm I'm so interested in it now. I I've got a book David if you'd like to read up. I can provide the research materials. Just give me uh, Roxy, Roxy was adopted by Jessica from her local Humane Society in 2020. She is a whirlwind of energy who loves running and hiking. Um, 
We don't have that in common, Roxy, but it's okay. <laughs> we don't have to agree on everything. Um, oh, she's just lovely. She's pictured here on a on a bed, which is very much Billie Jean style, with uh, what looks like a platypus toy. Very sophisticated animal toy. Love that very much. So thank you, Jessica, for introducing Roxy into our lives. Roxy will feature in our newsletter. Subscribe now if you haven't already, obviously. Uh, and we'll pop her on Instagram as well. We have our own mascots. David has Darwin. They've bombed out early this week. Matt has the dearly departed Gerald. Same. Uh, Carter, I'm just picking Medvedev every week at the moment so uh we'll see how that goes he's my new badossa uh billy jean went on the ferry today i would say she didn't love it but was tolerant <laughs> of it she knew there was a good destination at the end of the experience like most travel uh she is sponsored by billy jean king and alana kloss our executive producers are chris albert lee and kyle weingartner they're both top blokes and we've got shout outs. We do. We have Swapna Sarte, who, as luck would have it, is in Cincinnati, Ohio. No way. Yeah. On, is that a genuine, genuine stroke, stroke of, luck? of luck? Wow. I love that. Um, Swapna, I'm a big fan of name alliteration and I like your name very much. Me too. And thanks a lot. Thank you very much. We've also got Stephen Malloy, who is in County Clare in Ireland. We, we, we know, know Stephen. Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Stephen says, the last time my shout-out got read out, I was cleaning my shower. Highlight of 2020. Oh. One of my favourites on Twitter, old Stephen. Always makes me yeah, chuckle. Yeah, Stephen's great. Um, yeah, cleaning a shower was about as good as it got mm. in 2020. <laughs> Stephen, I hope right now you're doing something significantly more fun. <laughs> Thanks for your support. Yeah. And finally today, we've got Lynn Arkinstall, who is English but living in Sydney. Oh, a little bit like Arkansas, mm. the US state. And Lynn says, and I like this as well, that her great friend Susan Officer introduced her to the podcast and Susan... Also is a shout out friend, and I looked it up, and Susan got her shout out for the farewell Ash Barty episode. I remember Susan. Mm. Oh. oh, love that! Mm. Very nice, isn't it? Thank you, Lynn. Yeah, thanks, um, Lynn. Can I? Is Lynn, Lynn is British, isn't she? Can I do an Alan Partridge joke? Lynn, Lynn, <laughs> I've pierced my foot on a spike. <laughs> there we go. Okay, if anyone's still listening, we've been the the Tennis Podcast. We'll be back again on Monday, wrapping up all things Cincinnati. In the meantime, uh, do subscribe to the newsletter. Um, And tell your friends, leave us an Apple Podcast review. And, of course, we'll speak to you soon. 